I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. So welcome to our second installment on sibling rivalry. We're going to go into a lot of situations this time. Last time, you may recall that we covered the big basics of sibling rivalry, and people are welcome. We encourage listeners to review that anytime they like. You know, I always think of siblings as two great rivers, or if there's more than two kids, many rivers that wind together, wind apart, very complex uh, mix of relationships. And so let's get started. Susan, I think... uh, You were interested in in discussing a question that comes up frequently. Yes, actually, Arthur, people that were able to listen to the first podcast, which really talked about preparing an older child or children for a new sibling, they were confused about the fact that we were putting in like the books that we were making for the children for preparation. And when we talked to the child about how sometimes a child could have two feelings, they could love their baby sister, but they could really be mad that that baby was taking up so much time and crying. And they said, but if you tell the child that they're angry or they're mad, aren't you just putting an idea into the child's head? This is something that I get all the time. And I'm going to sit here and tell you there are very few things I can guarantee in the world, but this is one of them. I can guarantee you, you are not putting that idea into your child's head. Any typically developing child, and I don't care if they're 12 months old or 12 years old, are going to have some mixed feelings about a sibling coming into their family. And the fact that you as the parent, the most important person or the most important people in that child's life who can actually say to them, I get it. I understand that this isn't always easy. I understand that you're angry sometimes that the baby takes up time and we can't do certain things. Can you imagine what a gift that is to that child? You're basically saying, I understand your feelings. It's okay to feel angry. Your feelings are your feelings. What a tremendous gift that is. Don't you think so, Arthur? I just love that. I recently learned something from a wise person that toxic thoughts are only toxic if they're not expressed. So they fester and rot away in your mind and create all sorts of horrible feelings, that's toxic. It's harmful to your body. It's harmful to your mind. But if you share a thought, it takes the venom out of a bad thought. So here's this young child. I mean, it's true for adults, but imagine a young child bringing a sibling home. is sort of like telling your spouse, oh, good news. I'm bringing home another spouse. And you can bet that's not going to go very well. And you can be guaranteed jealousy will be ignited. I do find that some kids lean more towards curiosity than jealousy, and other kids lean more towards jealousy than curiosity, but almost everyone's got a mix of those two. No matter how big or little your jealousy piece is inside you, I think almost everyone's going to feel bad about it because they're going to think, gee, if I was a good kid, I'd be excited about my little brother or little sister. So how come I'm such a schnook and I'm I'm not really excited about this? But that's the point. A little kid's not prepared to find their path towards sharing that idea. But if a powerful person, the most powerful person, as you said so beautifully in their life, their parent comes to them and say, guess what? Everyone feels that way. There's nothing wrong with you. And by the way, I'm the mom or dad of that child, and I'm not upset about talking about it. 
It doesn't hurt me and it doesn't hurt your child. It's just a thought. You know how important that is, what you just said, that the parent can say it's okay to feel that way? Because what do most parents and grandparents say when they're, when they, you love your baby sister. Oh, oh you're going to be such a big, great big brother. You're going to be the best big brother in the world. And they go on and on. Don't you love your sister? Oh, my God. Can you imagine what that does if you're two, three, four, five years old or even younger? You're going to say, just like you said, what's the matter with me? Yeah, I sort of love him, but he's sort of like a bother and a big nuisance. (laughs) So think about it like a balloon. And those toxic thoughts or those angry thoughts are growing in the balloon. And if there is no place for those feelings to get expressed, tell me, where's there going to be room for the loving feelings to grow? Once you allow for the expression of those angry, toxic feelings, then you allow the loving feelings to enter and grow. Your older child both loves and really gets annoyed by the baby simultaneously. And we as adults know that we can have two very conflicting feelings at the same time, right? Yeah, it actually reminds me of a funeral I was at. There were like a few kids of the parents each were giving a eulogy. And, you know, most of the kids, you know, were all grown up. We're talking about cherished memories with their lost mom. But the firstborn, when she gave her eulogy, said, dear mommy, I remember when it was just us. Oh, my. (laughs) That's amazing. And she's like, you know, probably over 70 years old. The person saying this is over 70 years old. And remember. That's a long time to remember that feeling. (laughs) And that was the number one thing that she wanted to share with the world about her mother 70 years later. So don't tell me people don't have strong feelings about this. And that's a true story, right? Yes. Absolutely true. A wonderful. Well, you know, last time, as I said, we talked about preparing the child. So now let's say the baby's home and your toddler or your preschool age child is around the baby. Many children fall into a pretty good pattern after like the first few weeks. They say, oh, okay, I guess I can tolerate this. The baby mostly sleeps and eats. But I like to remind parents that when the baby begins to move, crawl or walk, there's usually a resurgence of those sibling rivalry feelings. And why is that? Well, that baby can get in the way. That baby can knock down a block of towers that the child was playing with or take a truck and put it in his mouth or just really get in the way of the older child's play or his space, invade his personal space, right? Yeah, I always like to say as the new baby emerges into like an active person in the household, there's two great themes emerge around sibling rivalry. One is that they're in the way. I'm building this beautiful tower and they knock it down. I've got my favorite doll and they want to sleep with it. They're in my way. I've got things to do. And this little kid's not just getting my way, but trying to take over and quash my great projects and desires. That's one theme. And the other is I miss my mommy, you know. They're taking away time, you know, which is the ultimate coin of the realm in a family. How much time and attention do you get from your mom and dad? And if someone takes that away, that's like a big deal. So older kids are going to react to both those things, having their desires and projects interfered with, and then having their time, the most precious thing, with their parents reduced and and that time with the precious parents, it gets even exacerbated when the baby starts to crawl and begins to walk. What do the adults do? Oh, look at little Johnny. He's crawling. He's walking. Isn't that cute? 
So not only is the baby invading the space of the older one, but they're getting even more attention and getting like applause and everyone's getting so excited. Why that could really feel tough for an older child. You mentioned like the block tower. So let's take that as an example and we'll walk through that. The baby crawls over or walks over and knocks down a building or a tower that the older child is making. The first thing that a parent can do, of course, is to stop the baby, you know, to take the baby in their arms. Usually the baby is just exploring. They have no intent of distressing, at least not at the beginning, (laughs) in distressing the, the big brother or sister. The parent can be very empathetic. Oh, you worked so hard on that tower and then the baby just came and knocked it down. Of course you feel mad. That would make me mad too. Phew, the child feels, okay, I can actually be mad. So what can we do? Let's let's figure out a way to make you feel better. How can we make this better? And you might get an answer that would make you uneasy because I have heard children say, take that baby back to the hospital. I've heard some pretty angry responses. And how do you respond to that? You really have to not do it from your gut. You have to take a deep breath or two and say, what is the child really saying? The child is really saying, this whole thing is hard for me. It's hard for me to see the baby getting attention. It's hard for me to have my toys touched and and ruined. And you have to reflect that. You can say, wow, you have some huge, big, angry feelings about that baby right now. I can really hear you saying that. You don't have to talk about like, we can't send the baby back to the hospital. Don't go down that road. Listen to like the message that comes behind the words that the child is actually saying. A child of three really knows the baby's not going back to the hospital, but that's how angry they feel. Like, just get rid of this baby. And you have to take a deep breath and say, he's not really considering fratricide. This child is just telling me how angry he is. And this is a time that you might take your older child in your arms and just say, this is such a hard time, but we're going to get through this together. What can we do? And and it might be something like putting up a little fence that the baby can't get through so the child can do his blocks. Always allow your child to keep some toys just for him. There have to be some boundaries for that older child that the parents respect. And it helps begin to teach the baby that there are some boundaries in this world. You know, uh, listeners to this podcast, Parent Talk, may recognize an emerging theme as we go through toilet training and sleeping through the night and now sibling rivalry and discipline. And that is, once again, the solution to these issues lies in the heart of the child struggling. And so getting upset either at the older child or the baby is an example of the parent trying to solve the problem. And again, it's the child who's struggling who holds the keys to the solution. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, we're coming to the child who's mad about the tower being knocked down and helping them understand what they're going through and helping them, well, giving, really giving them the opportunity to find their solution to their problem. I really do hope the listeners are taking that in because they will find that this will be the key to what you might call really conscious parenting, really thinking about how can we give the the conflict back to the child and support them, but allow them to come to their own resolution. Because just like adults, when a child can come up with the solution, it always works out better. Whoever's coming up with the solution is much more likely to want to follow it. You know, we talked about when they're crawling and once the child gets 
a little bit older and the children are more equal. Now we have a real toddler who's walking and beginning to talk. Then you can really see that sort of constant bickering that some parents talk about, that they're always pulling at each other's toys. They're hitting each other. They're yelling. And parents just get so frustrated. And it's pretty frustrating when it happens, not once a day, but like multiple, multiple times a day. And the parent is trying to make me make dinner or uh, get something done in the house, do some work. And what happens is that what parents report to me is that they feel terrible because they end up just yelling at the kids. They just say, stop that. Stop yelling. Don't hit. And they take away the toy or they send them to their separate rooms if they have separate rooms. But what gets accomplished, Arthur? Absolutely nothing, because all that does is stop the conflict in that minute. It does absolutely nothing for teaching those children how to resolve that conflict. Just what you were talking about. It doesn't give them the real life skills. And the three words that come to mind that you taught me, Susan, that are so important in these situations, I can see. Mm -hmm. I love those words because they're very neutral. In other words, if you say to your older child, I can see that your younger brother or sister knocked down the tower and that it made you angry. I think a lot of kids are going to be quite surprised at that. They're going to say, oh my gosh, I'm not in trouble. And now you're in alliance with them. Now they're like leaning at the edge of their seat saying, I wasn't expecting that. What's coming next? So that's the beginning of the process. And, and you know something that reminds me of a question that we received. It was really in a discipline, but it comes under the heading of sibling rivalry. This is a question who comes from Joanna, who has two boys, two and a half and four. She writes that they fight constantly over whatever toy the other one is playing with. The other one always just seems to want it. And she said, it's clear that the child who's grabbing the toy and says, that's mine or I want it, was not the least bit interested in that toy until the other child picked it up. And she said that they were cleaning their house. I'm sort of condensing this a little bit. She was cleaning her house and they came up with a kaleidoscope that was lost like some months before. And of course, both children grabbed for it and they both wanted it very, very much. And it just escalated into a fight where one of the children hit the other one over the head with the kaleidoscope and everybody ended up crying, including the mother. (laughs) So we suggested an alternative approach and we said, The first thing to do is to get down to the boy's level and put your hand on whatever toy they're fighting about. In this case, the kaleidoscope, because you don't want it to be thrown or used as a weapon. And then she can say exactly what you said, Arthur. I see that you both really want this toy right now, that you're excited about finding it and you both want it. But there are two boys and one kaleidoscope. Hmm. That's a problem. And we told Joanna to say to her boys, I know that you boys have got really good fingers up there, you know, pointing to their heads. And I know that you can come up with an idea for both of you to be able to share this toy. And this is what's so remarkable because they don't really want it. It's amazing that one child usually says, well, I just wanted to see if that little part still turned and then I'll give it right back. And and that's exactly what happened. She wrote us back. She could not believe how quickly this worked. She said she saw that they didn't really want to play with it. And when she gave it back to them, they were actually able to figure it out themselves and continue their play in a very productive way. I think what surprised her the most was that it really worked 
and that it worked very quickly. Now, I'm going to be very honest. We do. We actually live in the real world, and we know that you do not always have the time <laughs> to sit down and go through different steps like this every single time your children are bickering. But I tell parents, can you do it 50% of the time, 60% of the time? If you can really teach the children these strategies, because that's what you're teaching them. You're teaching them the skills of figuring out how to resolve a conflict. I'm going to tell you that this process gets shorter and shorter, at least the parents' part, and the children will take it over. So think about what you just said. This is so extremely powerful. I really want to take a moment and have our listeners ponder this for a minute, really grasp its power. You start with that, I can see a neutral statement which is not saying, I like what you did. I didn't like what you did. I just saw what you did. Now you've got their attention. Second step, you ask a question. They're with you now. They're open to a conversation with you and you present a question. I can tell you with just about anyone, if you're in a connection of trust and someone asks you a question, it's next to impossible not to reply. So you establish the connection. I can see you ask the question, do you have any ideas about how to handle this better of the child? And here, to me, the most powerful moment is a moment of silence. When you stop talking as a parent at that point, after you ask the question, the child is alone, almost forced to respond. Nothing else is going to happen, really. And there's such an expectation if someone asks a question, you'll, you'll answer that they do. And, and that's what you see. You see this amazing thing where they come up with some sort of idea doesn't always work. And sometimes they'll storm away from the situation. It's not magic. Sometimes siblings don't get along. Sometimes they just don't like each other. But even those situations, giving the children a chance to come up with their own solutions opens a whole new path in their life. And I just love what you said about it doesn't have to be every time. Even if you do it a fraction of the time, they're learning, oh, I guess there's a way where I can manage this with thinking through my own thoughts coming up with my own solutions. And that is a powerful, powerful thing for someone to have. It's a great gift from parent. And we start this at a very young age. You can start this with an 18-month-old. If you do it even a fraction of the time, by the time they're three and four, you're going to have a child who understands that there is a way for me to resolve the conflict without hitting or yelling or getting yelled at. Another thing that I find that parents will ask me, they'll say, I really want to treat my children like equals. My parents didn't treat us equally. And I, that's a very big thing for me. And I'd like them to sort of rethink that and not so much equally, like everyone gets exactly the same, but to treat your child fairly and to give them the things that they need, that each child needs, because your children are going to be different. Well, unless you have twins like Arthur, you know, they're going to be different ages. They're going to possibly be different sexes, and they certainly are going to have different temperaments. And that would be true even with twins. So what they need at any particular moment is not going to be the same as their sibling. And parents have to really think about that. And we have a few little hacks, like if you're cutting up like a piece of cake or a brownie or something, and you know that you cut it in half and you give one to Johnny and another piece to Sally. And what does Johnny say? Herpes! is bigger than mine, you know, and has a complete fit about it. There's one really easy way to get around this. You ask one of the children to cut the brownie or the piece of pizza or whatever it is. And I can absolutely assure you that they will be taking out, if they're old enough, they'll take out the ruler and be measuring it to the exact <laughs> And then you have the other child 
choose the piece. So that way the, the cutter knows that they're going to be cutting it exactly even. And I will tell you that almost wipes out that very, very common sibling issue. If you've got three or four children, someone cuts it into three or four pieces, whatever the situation. That's actually a gaming theory, that approach. Yeah. It's sort of related to the prisoner's dilemma and other gaming uh, negotiating toys. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I didn't know that. But you mentioned twins. You know, when we talk about kids being different, uh, one of the things my identical twin girls, our identical twin girls uh, taught me, now grown up, is that you can take one of your own cells and clone yourself. And I guarantee you, it won't be you again. So even identical twin siblings are quite different. If someone with the same DNA is different than you, you can guarantee someone with different DNA is going to be different for sure. I'm really glad that you mentioned the gaming theory. I'm going to have to look that up after we finish mm-hmm. the podcast. And, you know, we're talking a lot about the physical, um, the hitting and, and the pulling and the punching. But I'm happy to say that in most households, once the children get into grade school, it becomes more verbal abuse. I'm not sure I should be happy about that. <laughs> but But parents come to me very, very frequently and say, the name calling is driving me crazy. And I tell you, I'm, I have two older brothers and the names that they called me, I mean, you know, they should have had their mouths washed out with soap in the olden days. <laughs> I mean, and because my parents really didn't have any skills about this, it just happened. You know, they, they would get yelled at occasionally, but it never stopped. So one of the things that I was determined with my three children was that there was going to be no name calling. And what we did mm-hmm. at a very early age, even before they were in school, is that if they started to say, like someone is stupid or someone is ugly or they were dumb or something like that, we would stop and we'd say, I see that you're angry. I hear from your words that you're using very angry words, but you've got to find a different way to tell them that you're angry. And we would help them work through it. So I have to, we're getting towards the end of the podcast, but I must share one of my favorite stories of my own three children. They were in their teens. Maybe my son was 12. And like most families, when you come to dinner, everyone's got their favorite chair. For some reason, one of his older sisters sat in his chair. So he came into the dining room and he said, get out of my chair. You you know, that's my chair. You're so dumb, you know, and really gave it to her with both barrels. I can't remember the exact words, but it wasn't pleasant. So because our family was so attuned to this, all of us stopped and looked at him. We didn't even say anything. And he took a deep breath and said, okay, okay. Rebecca, when you sit in my chair, that makes me really angry because that's the chair I like to sit in. Well, by this time, Rebecca just laughed and said, okay, I get it. She moved over. And then the whole family broke into gales of laughter. And I will tell you something. It was one of those perfect family moments. Took years to achieve. But we were there and I actually did have children who did not call each other names. And, you know, my mother, who was not great at giving out compliments, said, hmm, maybe you've got something there with your crazy ideas because your children don't seem to fight. And I thought, well, they do get angry at each other, but we have taught them skills to resolve those kinds of conflicts. That's just beautiful. I remember that story, actually. I remember you telling me that. And that just illustrates that once you open the door and a child learns those skills, they could put them to work. And it becomes their go-to approach to things, which is very effective, very powerful. So instead of them tearing each other hair on the floor, the family's laughing and there's a resolution of the uh, difficulty. I always like to think in relationships about tuning, like an orchestra 
tunes itself. We, mm-hmm. we know it doesn't feel good or sound good when, when instruments are out of tune. And the fact is we are always missing being in tune with each other all the time, every day. So the question is, how do you take a misstep and turn it into a situation where you're back in tune? That's a great story about how they were out of tune and they knew the path towards retuning themselves so they're back in harmony together. Ooh, that's a fantastic analogy. We're probably going to revisit sibling rivalry. We'll get to more on the teenagers because they can be right. They can get pretty angry at one another from many reasons. But I'm happy to end this podcast with this last story and your wonderful analogy about getting a family really more in harmony because that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.